Good morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, and I'm going to have to restrain myself. There are so many things I'd like to say, but we need to keep time, as, as we say in Africa. We, need, we say in Africa, nobody really does it, but we need to keep time um, this morning. We've got a lot of ground to cover. But while you're turning to Luke chapter 14, let me just bring you warm greetings from your brothers and sisters at Covenant Fellowship. We love all of you so much, and it's wonderful for me to step in here this morning and see so many familiar faces and feel like I'm back, I am back in my old stomping grounds in some way. I, I met Dave Esternell right down the road here at Drexel Hill Elementary School in, in grade one. Um, <clears throat> I think it's middle school now. But it is, I feel uh, I'm among family and I'm home this morning, not just because I'm in my old stomping grounds, but because I know I'm among friends and among family. So thank you so much for welcoming me this morning and for welcoming Rachel. Tim, thanks for your kind introduction. Uh, and if you're, if you're with me now in Luke chapter 14, let's begin reading in verse 12. He, speaking of Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are for your word, Lord. How grateful we are for the word that we are studying this morning. How grateful we are for the word made flesh that we celebrated in worship this morning. Lord, Jesus, thank you for coming and saving us. Thank you for coming and making yourself a man so that you could save us from our sins. And Lord, thank you for giving us your word that we can reflect upon this morning, that we can be the church that you are calling us to be. Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd help us now as we reflect upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we all know what it feels like to uh, receive a kindness that has strings attached. Uh, a kindness that seems to be motivated more by what the giver hopes to receive in return than by a true spirit of generosity. Uh, I, I really hate to be the cynic in the room, um, but I'm in the room, so there you go. Um, <clears throat> the proverbial apple on the teacher's desk um, is rarely a pure form of generosity. I mean, let's be honest. The, the apple has been replaced, by the way, by a Starbucks cup now, so if if you're a teacher, you can probably expect to get those from your students around this time of year, especially as finals and, and term papers are being turned in. Uh, again, don't mean to be a cynic. I, there's good reason to appreciate and show love to your teachers. Um, another example would be uh, the guys in Ethiopia now who grab your luggage at the airport. Um, I remember the first time I landed in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. I love Ethiopia. I love the culture there. Um, 
I was, I was unfamiliar at this time with some of the practices around the airport. And so I'm, I'm standing in line. By the way, in Ethiopia, every bag gets scanned before you enter the country. There's no, uh, there's no I see some Ethiopians in the back smiling. <laughs> uh, there, there's no uh, luggage. There's no green channel. There's no way to just kind of walk in. So everything gets scanned through the, the x-ray machine. And as you're waiting in line, there are these guys in jumpsuits. They look very official, and they're, they're asking as you get close, they start grabbing at your bags. And, and I, I didn't know any better. I just kind of thought, well, this is the way things are done. That's nice. They picked up the bags. They put them through. Immediately, as soon as they put them through the x-ray machine, they start putting their hands out and expecting something from me. And of course, by this, at this time, I don't have any Ethiopian burr. I haven't exchanged any money. I have nothing but large bills. So I just have to apologize and explain to these disappointed guys that I don't have anything for them. Um, Sometimes there are forms of generosity and kindness that you can almost feel like you need to be on your guard against uh, because they're really nothing more than thinly veiled attempts to obligate you to do something in return. This reciprocity ethic, this idea that, that I'll scratch your back, if you scratch mine, I'll do this, but I'm going to expect you to do something to reciprocate to me, this, this idea was very strong in the Greco-Roman world that Jesus lived in, and it was very pervasive in, in Jewish society as well. One would act in a generous way toward others in order to elicit a similar generosity in return. And conversely, if someone extended kindness or generosity to you, you'd feel a strong obligation, not, not just kind of a, a cultural obligation, a moral, ethical obligation to reciprocate. While this, this way of thinking may not be so explicit in our world today, it's undeniably present. It lies just beneath the surface in many of our personal interactions. If we're honest, we really have to admit there's not a whole lot we do that isn't somehow motivated or at least influenced by our own self-interest. And on certain levels, that's okay. Uh, it, it's not as if the, the goal of reciprocity is inherently evil or impure. There are many contexts where it's appropriate and even, even good. Think of a business context. I'm, I'm actually in the market for a new car. If anyone's selling a car, you can come to me afterwards, and hopefully we'll have one of these good mutually, mutually beneficial business deals, right? That's the highest goal in a business transaction that both sides would be satisfied. If you're selling a vehicle and I offer you a price that you feel is fair compensation for that, and you give me a vehicle that I feel like I've paid a fair amount of money for, that's good. That's, that's what we're aiming for in a business transaction. In relationships, it's natural and certainly not wrong that we to hope to be loved in return for the love that we give. Now, we get ourselves into trouble when we, when we idolize that. We get ourselves into trouble when we, uh, when we are demanding about that with others. But it's not wrong to hope to be loved in return for the love that we give. As usual, though, Jesus comes to us with some questions that probe into the depths of our hearts, into the depths of our motivations, and push us beyond these natural human tendencies. Jesus calls us to a selfless love that expends itself for others without regard for what they can do for us in return. I, I probably don't need to tell you that this doesn't come naturally for, for us. We are bent toward doing things that are in our own self-interest. We are bent toward even neglecting things that don't offer any benefit to us. 
So against the grain of Jesus' own ancient culture, against the grain of our culture today, against the grain of our natural human tendencies and our sinful nature, Jesus teaches us here that true Christian generosity goes beyond the bounds of reciprocity. In fact, one of the defining characteristics of generosity that's uniquely Christian is its intentional, its purposeful focus on those who can do nothing to repay it. Jesus says, you want to know whether your love is truly Christian love? Try loving those who can't love you back. You want to know whether your generosity is like that of your Father in heaven? Give to those who can do nothing to repay you. This is generosity in its purest form, and Jesus wants to be sure that it's a present and visible trait in the lives of his disciples. So in our remaining time, before I take some time at the end just to update you on the work of Covenant Mercies, um, I want to just observe a couple of things about this generosity, this generosity that Jesus commends to us in this passage. First of all, this generosity takes Christ-like initiative. It takes Christ-like initiative. Now, contrary to the words that, uh, that Jesus speaks, if, if we take them at face value, um, he's not forbidding us from having our friends over, from inviting our families over, and, and being generous and kind toward uh, those who are in our inner circle. So if anybody tweeted out cancellations of their Christmas parties uh, while I was reading Jesus' words earlier, you can retract those tweets. Put the parties back on. It's, it's appropriate. Jesus is not condemning that. Listen, he's at the table of a Pharisee. I failed to mention that earlier. Jesus is sitting at the table of a Pharisee. He knows well what their practices are. He knows well what our human tendencies are. So he's using strong language here to jar us out of our complacency, to jar us out of our comfort zones and to make a point. So what point is Jesus making? We're saying that as God's people, our generosity must not be limited to, it must not be confined to that which is normal. It's normal to be generous toward those who can return the favor to us somehow. As disciples of Christ, we're called to take generous initiative toward those who can't repay us, listen to this, specifically because they can't repay us. That's the reason that we take initiative them. I just love the way Jesus explains the reason that, that we shouldn't invite. When he says, don't invite your friends, don't invite your family, the rich, uh, to your party, he, he explains the reason for that by saying, lest they also invite you and you be repaid. I listen to that and I say, wow, yeah, that's, that's intuitive, right? <laughs> All right, there's three things that you really want to avoid doing. Avoid leaving your keys in the car and leaving the car unlocked, lest it be stolen. Okay, avoid walking through dangerous neighborhoods at 2 a.m. lest you be mugged. And avoid inviting Bill and Melinda Gates to your Christmas party lest they put you on their private jet and fly you out to Seattle to their palatial estate and have you come to their Christmas party. Uh, it makes sense, right? Well, Jesus isn't trying to make a case for this as if this makes intuitive sense. What he's saying here is that this is the way the world thinks. That's the way the world operates. If your generosity remains within those bounds, what difference really has the grace of God made? Verses 13 and 14 again say, but when you give a feast, 
Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Not despite the fact that they can't repay you. Not, uh, not even though they can't repay you. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you. So there's a cause and effect relationship that Jesus is drawing our attention to here. The blessing for you is the direct result of the fact that you have selected as the object of your generosity and kindness those who cannot return the favor. As you take initiative toward those who can't repay you, specifically because they can't repay you, God himself will repay you for, for the very same reason. And this, Jesus says, is one of the things that ought to characterize Christian love. They ought to characterize us as Christians and distinguish us from the world. This is a characteristic that differentiates Christian love from love that we might think of as natural or normal in the world. Earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus spoke in similar terms when calling us to love even our enemies. In Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 32, Jesus said, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? How does that differentiate you from the world? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But you love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High for he is, un- is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. How do we demonstrate that we are sons and daughters of the Most High? Not by confining our actions to those things that are possible and even normal apart from faith. As Jesus would say, what credit is that to us? How does that distinguish us from the world? We demonstrate that we are children of our Father in heaven and disciples of His Son, Jesus, by taking initiative toward those we wouldn't naturally take initiative toward, where it wouldn't be natural or normal for us to do so, by loving even our enemies, by intentionally ensuring that our generosity and kindness extends to those who can do nothing to repay us. Now, back to our Pharisee's table in Luke chapter 14. There's an elephant in the room here that none of the dinner guests that evening realized, but we would do well to realize this morning, especially as we entered the Advent season. And I was affected during during worship by Leo's words and by the songs that we were singing and reflecting deeply on the incarnation of Christ. This This is the elephant in the room that we need to recognize. The one who is sitting at the table and addressing these guests, is himself God incarnate. He's sitting at this table because he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, made himself nothing, took the form of a servant and took initiative toward those who could do nothing for him in return. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. And soon he will give all, enduring death on a cross for those who could never repay him for his sacrifice. Now, if you're here today and you're not 
a Christian. Maybe you're exploring the Christian faith. You're wondering what this is all about. It's important for you to understand. None of us are here trying to repay God. Uh, There's nothing you can do to repay God. You don't come to Jesus as a way of repaying him for sins you've committed, for the wrongs that you've done, or repaying him for the kindnesses that he's shown you. You come to Jesus as an act of faith, believing that his death on the cross is sufficient to cover your own sins and restore your relationship with God. But those of us who are believers, I I trust we see the rich gospel truth bound up in what Jesus is calling us to here. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Take initiative toward those who can do nothing to repay you. Lavish them with love and generosity. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did when he came from the riches of heaven. He left behind the glory of heaven and came to earth to seek and save lost sinners like you and me. The generosity that Jesus commends to us here takes Christ-like initiative toward those who can't repay it. Secondly, this generosity is driven by faith. It's driven by faith. Though Jesus calls us to a generosity that is not self-interested, he simultaneously lifts our eyes to a reward that can only be seen, can only be perceived through the eyes of faith. Again, his words in in verses 13 and 14, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Amazingly, as we put off this tendency to be motivated by the things of this world and take initiative instead toward those who can do nothing for us in those terms, Jesus promises us that we will be richly rewarded in eternity. Now, we embrace this reward by faith, by trusting that what Jesus is saying to us here is true. It's more true than the things we see in front of us. When we sacrifice in this life, when we give sacrificially, when we invest ourselves in those who can do nothing in return for us, Jesus promises that that will accrue to our account in eternity. This is the great paradox of giving in the kingdom of God. It is a sacrifice to give, okay? I don't want to pretend as if there's not, there's not a tangible effect. There is a tangible sacrifice that we make when we give. It will cost you the ability to use those same resources for something else that will enhance or enrich your life, might benefit you more in the here and now. But when we consider that sacrifice... In light of the eternal reward that Jesus promises us here, it is really no sacrifice at all. You you cannot make a more secure investment than this. Uh, This is an investment with the, the, the most guaranteed return that you could ever imagine. Some of you may know from uh, being part of Covenant Fellowship and from past messages, uh, I love to garden. Uh, others have greener thumbs than I do, but I love to get out in the garden. I love to, to grow new things. Um, and uh, over the last couple of years, we identified, my wife and I identified a couple of spots in the yard that would be ideal for blueberry bushes. And so I just threw myself into all the research and learning how to amend the soil. Blueberries like a real acidic soil, so what do we need to put around them? How do we mulch? How do we protect them from deer? All of these things. Um, threw myself into it, and uh, one of the things that you need to do when you're planting new blueberry bushes 
is you need to pinch the blossoms in the first couple of, of, of seasons. So uh, the blossoms, as you may know, are what ultimately produces the fruit on, on the plant. And so, you know, they're pretty bushes, but I really planted them to get the fruit. So, um, but the idea is that as you pinch the blossoms in the first couple of years, you're forcing that plant to, to put all of its energies into developing a strong root system, developing a strong base, so that ultimately in the years to come, it can produce an abundance more fruit than, than what it's going to be able to produce in those first couple of years. So you pinch those blossoms. Um, now, this, this past summer was my second year of pinching blossoms. I, I just pulling them off and throwing them away. And I have to tell you, it was hard for me this year. Uh, the first year was a little easier. There weren't many of them. The plants are small. You, you get it. Now the plants are looking more healthy. There's a lot more blossoms. And I'm thinking... I want these things to turn into blueberries. And so I, I really, I kind of had a little bit of a pity party. I called all the girls outside. They had to look at them before I pinched them. They, I took pictures of the blossoms. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a rough day. But I did it. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I could have, I could have enjoyed a couple of handfuls of blueberries this year. I sacrificed that enjoyment for maybe 50 or 75 years of abundant blueberries that these bushes will provide by pinching those blossoms. Now, what Jesus is asking us here is, do you want to be satisfied with a handful of blueberries? Or will you trust me that as you pinch those blossoms, as you do what I'm telling you here, you will be rewarded in a much richer way than your mind can even fathom? This is a reality. This, this eternal reward is a reality that can only be accessed by faith. And God is pleased. God is pleased when we live our lives according to that reality. We need to see the glory in this. God is glorified. God is pleased. God is honored and exalted when we say, Jesus, I know that what you're telling me is true. I see these things in front of me. It's, this is a tangible tangible sacrifice that maybe even on some level I, I don't want to make. I don't want to part with these things, but I trust you. I trust you. And, and God is pleased when we do that, when we fix our eyes on the things, not the things that are seen, which are transient, but the things that are unseen and eternal. Jesus is lifting our eyes toward that unseen reward, which is every bit as real as the tangible sacrifice, only far more lasting. And many of you get this already, but I want to continue stirring your faith with this story. I, I recently became aware of a couple in our church who are sponsoring seven children in the orphan sponsorship program. Uh, now, that number in itself, that's, that's a wonderful number, but that number in itself isn't especially notable. There are others who are sponsoring seven children or more. Um, the number, uh, what was most notable to me was the fact that I happen to know these folks, and I'm quite certain, uh, unless they're really adept at hiding the fact that they're independently wealthy, um, I'm quite certain that these folks are nowhere near wealthy by American standards. So when I came upon this information, and by the way, you need, you need to understand, um, I don't go trolling through the Covenant Mercies database trying to find out how many children people are sponsoring. I happened upon this information, but once I had it, I felt like I needed to, to act on that. So I, I dropped these folks a, a note in the mail and just said, told them how encouraged I was when I saw that. Thank you so much for your, your generosity. It's really a wonderful example. Um, later, I bumped into the, the better half, shall we say, of, of that couple and um, just reiterated some of those same sentiments that I had written in the letter, just thanking her and, and telling her how encouraged I was by, 
by their participation in our program. And I just came to, to learn a little more through that conversation about how this transpired. Uh, they began at the beginning of the program. We, we started our sponsorship program back in 2003. They began sponsoring one or maybe two children. But then each time that her husband got a raise through the years, they had decided that, you know what, we will we'll sponsor a new child each time God increases our salary. And I just, I just love that sentiment. You know what, we, we did fine last year on what the Lord had provided for us. Now he's added more. Um, let's share some of that with someone who, who needs it perhaps more than we do. Now, here's the, here's the amazing thing. These are folks who, they don't have significant means. The sacrifice they're making is real. Those funds, those resources that are theirs to steward from the Lord could be used in a way that would benefit their own standard of living. And you know what? No one would call themselves indulgent. They're not living a, 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 a crazy lifestyle. But this is a couple whose eyes are fixed, not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. They are sacrificing now for a reward that's being kept in heaven for them where moth and rust will not destroy, where thieves will not break in and, st and steal. Let us all live our lives in light of this reality. This is an investment that we will never regret. When I think of, of Jesus' exhortation here toward those who could do nothing to repay us, I, I can't help but think of our orphan sponsorship program. In Covenant Mercies, by the way, for those of you who are unfamiliar, we're sponsored, we have a, an orphan sponsorship program which kind of forms the centerpiece of our work, and we're working with uh, local churches in a few different African nations to care for orphans. We partner with them, and they go out into their own communities and provide uh, for fatherless children in, in terms of nutritional care, medical care, and educational care. And all of this, of course, wrapped up in the love of Christ and in the testimony of this local church. And if, if you are sponsoring children through that program, really, it's nearly impossible that these children will ever be able to do anything to repay you. Uh, that's exactly the kind of giving that Jesus is commending to us in this passage. And, and it's precisely this kind of, of generosity that he promises to repay at the resurrection of the just. Now, scripture isn't entirely clear, isn't abundantly clear about what form these eternal rewards uh, will take will take. Uh, sometimes I use my imagination a little bit, and I imagine that one of the ways the Lord may reward us is by allowing us in eternity to meet those people whose lives have been affected. Maybe we never knew. Their lives have been affected by the way that we gave of ourselves, by the way that we gave of our resources in this life. Uh, imagine with me an encounter like this. A young lady comes up to you in eternity and says, Hi, I'm Kalkidan. I was born with HIV. I would have died of AIDS if you hadn't sponsored me and given me access to the health care I needed. Your support also brought a lady named Helena into my life, and Helena introduced me to Jesus. I'm here today because you gave when I couldn't do anything to repay you. Or imagine this one. Hi, my name is Charles. Your investment into Lighthouse Christian School made it possible for me to get an education. 
I came to know Jesus as a child through a VBS they held at Lighthouse. Later, through a scholarship program that you also supported, I was able to, to study and become a teacher and influence the lives of so many other children, all because you invested in me when there was nothing I could do to repay you. Think of the ripple effects through eternity. Think of the children and grandchildren of our sponsored kids. Sometimes I think of this as, as, as some of them are taking their place as young adults now, and they'll soon be starting families. Think of the children and grandchildren of our formerly sponsored kids who will know the love of Jesus because someone shared it with their mother or their grandfather when they were just a small child. Think of the lives that will be touched through the lives that we're touching. I believe part of the reward that we'll receive will be the joy of seeing with the eyes of eternity the full eternal impact our acts of kindness and generosity were able to achieve by God's grace. It takes the eyes of faith to perceive that in the here and now. And I couldn't be more grateful for the way that God has given so many of you that faith and so many of you the desire to invest generously in this work for 13 years now. And, and so from this point, I just want to turn the corner and begin to update you on the work of Covenant Mercies, or, or for those of you who are new, familiarize you for the first time with the work of Covenant Mercies. And the first, the, the first tool that I want to use to do that, I want to stop talking and let you hear from some of the kids themselves. Uh, over, the, over the past couple of years, we have been just seeing the wonderful fruit of some of the young people who've grown up as sponsored kids in our program, beginning to graduate from the program, and as I said, beginning to, to take their place in society as young adults. And uh, so what we've wanted to do for a while now is, is get a video crew over there and capture as many uh, video testimonies from these kids as we can. So in August, we were able to do that. You might, some of you might recognize Doug Nottage and Jay Walker, just a... a, a uh, lean and mean video crew went over there uh, to take video of our children, of the, the partners that we're working with on the ground there. And the first result of that is the video I'm about to show you. It's, it's on the long side. You'll see in this video some snippets of interviews with, with a few of our graduates in the program or, or older kids in the program who are able to articulate for themselves the difference uh, that God has made in their lives through it. And over the next couple of years, Lord willing, we'll, we'll begin rolling out individual little two-minute vignettes with ki kids in our program telling their own story. I'm so excited about that. So here's a first taste of it this morning. My hope and my prayer for every child that we're serving uh, in our programs is that they would come to know Jesus as their Savior uh, and that they would feel um, that He has given them everything they need for life and godliness, that they would know uh, what it means to, uh, to grow into uh, the gifts and the abilities that He's given them. And uh, each and every child in this program, we, we pray one day will be uh, a pillar of their household, a pillar of their community, a pillar of their churches, and uh, they'd, they'd be a strengthening force in, uh, in the society that they live in. My father died of HIV, according to what I've been told. So he died and left me when I was five years with my mom only and my other brother. 
the time that I have lost my father, that was uh, the worst time I have ever seen. But uh, when he died, my uh, the condition for my mother was very hard. She worked different workers uh, to feed me, uh, to send me to school. My dad died in 2003. My mom went, was doing some business. She was trying to pay for her fees, but it was not that much enough to pay for all of us. My grandmother was a helpless old woman, but she could try her best. Um, when it comes to food, we used to dig with her. We go to the garden, dig, and uh, after the end of the season, we get something to eat. And some part of the food can be sold to get other basic needs. You will find a child living in a family of uh, uh, like 12 children. Uh, these are orphaned children under the care of, for example, an elderly grandmother or an aunt who also has her own biological children. So even the quality of food that they eat is compromised. And uh, this very young child cannot access the nutrition that they need for their proper growth and development. And so in the long run, they are affected by undernutrition and so causing some diseases that affect them in the long run. The care for our children falls into three basic categories of, of practical care, nutritional uh, care, medical care, and educational care. Um, but these take different shapes and different forms in each of the different areas where we're working because the needs are different and the local people have different ideas about the ways to meet those needs. Uh, Covenant Masses as an organization has done a great job in uh, helping to intervene and helping to bring hope into the lives of the children and the guardians. When Covenant Masses came to my life, when they started sponsoring me, I was mentored, I was told that you can one day become a doctor, you can one day become a teacher, you can become anything that you want to become in life, uh, as long as you embrace the opportunity given to you. Some years back, when we could go to Covenant Masses, they could ask us, what do you want to become in the future? I remember every time they asked me, I, I used to tell them that I want to become a teacher. Covenant Masses helped me in very many ways to become a primary school teacher. My future, is seeming to become bright because as per me i am not planning to only end here which means by next year i am planning to join the university upgrade and also i am of a view of opening my own school In Ethiopia, we're working in a very urban environment in the capital city of Addis Ababa. Uh, most of the children live with family members in um, shanties that are just put together with uh, some corrugated metal scraps, some grain bags, some pieces of cardboard, very spare. Um, 
uh, structures that the families live in uh, and yet it's so wonderful to see the children growing up with their family members and, and living together on these family compounds uh, even in spite of the hardships that they've experienced in their lives. I am very passionate about what I do uh, because I, I see the change that God is making in the lives of the children. When my father was alive we had a really good life. He used to work and we had we used to go to school. We had everything we wanted. And my mom used to work hard to support us as well. But after our dad passed away, my mom couldn't find a job. So we were out on the streets and we dropped out of school and everything was so hard and dark on us until the Covenant Mercy found us and helped us with everything we needed. Now everything is better even better than it used to be when our dad was alive. Masai had a little fight with her mom. It was very, like, minor thing. And then uh, she said bad things about her mom, and then she was cursing her, she was feeling really bad, and then she left the house. I said I used to love my life out there, and I didn't really want to reconcile to my mom and everything, but Helena, kept on coming and she kept on visiting us and she told my mom that she wanted to meet me for once and my mom she came searching for me and she told me that I would have to meet Helena so in our meeting Masai was she was she was so stubborn she said there is no need for her to talk to us but she just simply came here to tell us that she don't want she doesn't want to be part of a program and it was really hard. She she was she seemed angry and, and stubborn. But then I asked her if it's okay for us to pray, and then we prayed. And surprisingly, after the prayer, she was a different person. Like um, and then when I asked her to write her goals, the the goals she was writing was completely different. Like she was saying she she wants to go back to school, make peace with her mother and then uh, start old friendships with uh, healthy friends, and then start studying hairstyling, which is her dream. My relationship with my family is very good right now. Back in the days, I used to be a troublemaker, and I used to give them a hard time. But now, everything is really nice and smooth, and we have a really um, good relationship with our family. Now that I have graduated from my, from my school, I would want to open my own beauty salon and help others. And I, I just want to say that I'm really thankful and very grateful for the people that's been helping me. And I'm very grateful to the Covenant Mercy. African countries where we're working, um, 
it's common for children to drop out of school because their families can't afford school fees and sometimes this can happen as early as grade six or seven uh, especially for orphan children who've been taken in by uh, maybe a grandmother who has no income or an aunt and an uncle who have their own children that they're already looking after uh, so that's one of the reasons why education has become uh, such a, a centerpiece for the work that we're doing and providing for the children's needs in grade seven I was even chased out from school because I, I never paid for my fees. By the time they chased me, I was sad and I didn't even eat. I was just saying, my mom, please pay for my fees. And fortunately, they paid for my fees and I was very happy. Sometimes uh, we can put a child into school and pay their school fees and make sure that they're getting an education, but we may be putting them into a classroom with a hundred other students and one teacher and a few textbooks to share. Uh, so the, the quality of the education that they're able to get in, in, a, in a situation like that um, is low. When we started Lighthouse Christian School, we were renting a house. Um, so we just squeezed all these children. Of course, when we started, there were few, but when the numbers grew, especially when Covenant Mercies came in, we just didn't have enough space. I think for two years or so, two or three years, we had two classes coming in the afternoon because we didn't have enough room to accommodate all the grades, all the classes. But we are so grateful that uh, with the space now that we have, with the buildings behind me, it's just so, uh, such a blessing that now we have so much room that the kids, we have enough room at least for the children to, to all be in one campus. By uh, investing in infrastructure, by investing, for example, in Lighthouse Christian School, where we can put them in a classroom with no more than 35 students and ensure the quality of the education is good as well, uh, we can provide much better for their needs. I'll go to university and I'll become a nurse and become someone in the future and be a sponsor. Covenant Mercies is worthy of the support of our donors and our sponsors because we make a very big effort uh, to ensure that the maximum amount of every donation actually is an investment into the children's lives that we're serving. We work together hand in hand uh, with indigenous people so that we can care for them most effectively and most efficiently. And uh, we work hand in hand with the family because we want to see children growing up with their mothers. We want to see children growing up with uh, family connections rather than uh, taking them out of those contexts in order to, to provide more material things for them. So, I'm Asagginalo and thank you. For everyone who's contributed to the construction, even just to uh, just the general uh, running of Lighthouse Christian School, we just want to say a very big thank you. Every little penny uh, invested in a child is a, is a great investment. Let God bless them too much. I don't know how I can express my happiness to them. They helped me a lot. I can say thank you for sponsoring me. You have made me proud and I'm very happy because without you, I would have never done anything. Thank you, God bless you. I love you. <laughs> Amen. Well, I, am, I need to, to bring this to a conclusion. 
Um, but in concluding, let me, just, let me just gush a little of my joy, first in being able to introduce you, not, not just to some of our kids, but uh, isn't God good to give us such wonderful brothers and sisters on the ground in each of these countries to work with? I'm so thrilled that you get to meet Helen in, in Uganda and Helena in Ethiopia. Helena, who leaves the 99 to go after the one, and the Lord just blesses that perseverance. And, and th- by the way, Messiah is a believer. Messiah has given her life to Christ, and that's part of her transformation story. It hasn't come across well enough in the translation yet, but we're working on that for the future. Um, Folks, it is, it is so wonderful to be able to partner with our brothers and sisters on the ground there with Zicky Chanda, who's, who's the, the headmistress, the, the director of Lighthouse Christian School. Uh, that school has developed to the point where we've got about 225, 230 of our sponsored kids who are receiving quality Christian education through that school. Uh, as we've grown the school, we're grades K through se- pre-K through 7 now. Um, and last year's grade seven class was the first one to sit for a big national exam in Zambia. Very important there. All 17 of the, the students in that class passed, 100% passing rate. It was just a thrill. Amen. Amen. Just a thrill to see the, the, the way the Lord is continuing to bless this work. And so many of you have been a part of it. Let me conf- conclude by echoing Jesus's words. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Thank you. And we want to give you an opportunity this morning to give directly to this wonderful work. There is